Well, it's exciting to have our building full again. The church team is here, huh? Amen. This is exciting. It's, it's going to be a good day. Um, we have a, a brand new disciple taking a, a, an important step today. We have Derek here who's going to be baptized. Amen. And uh, if you're new today, my name is Ken, and I welcome you here to Crosswinds. Um, we have some brand new members uh, uh, to our team, the Crosswinds team. We have Jennifer and Matthew and Matt and Devin, and uh, I think there's a picture uh, that's going to be coming up of all of them. Uh, Matt's not been able to attend with us yet because he works on Sundays currently, but uh, we got a chance to hang out with them. And Courtney and, and Abdu and Eric learned how to be um, table coaches yesterday, and so we have some new team members there. Natasha's been doing a great job this week helping me with graphics and some admin stuff. We just have a great team um, here at Crossman's. You know, last week I talked about how doing church is a team sport, and we have a lot of great players this week on the field. I know some of you, most of you have been praying um, for the harvest this week, and I uh, appreciate that. We need to pray for God to send more laborers into the field, um, and, uh, you know, to, to be on God's team, we first need to trust in the identity and the work of, of Jesus, and then follow him in that work. Um, Jesus first asked his disciples to pray, and then he sent the ones who prayed out into the field to receive the harvest that he promised. So he said pray, and then he sent. Um, our message today is called sent. You know, um, when people think of God's attributes, they mostly think about him being loving, and they think about him being kind, and they think about him being all-knowing, and they think about him being all-powerful. But one of God's greatest attributes is that he is sent. See, Jesus was sent to us. God does not sit in heaven judging us for our sins. Instead, he came down to be the solution to them. And if you believe and then follow Jesus, you're sent. You're also sent. Those who put their trust in Jesus are now called sons or daughters of God. In early Hebrew thinking, um, to say something was the son of something meant that it had the same attributes of something. And when Jesus said he was God's son, it was saying that he was God and, and that he was all-powerful, that he was all-knowing, and that he was all-loving, and that he was sent. And if you have been saved by Jesus, friends, you're sent. Many who consider themselves Christians do not understand that they are personally sent by God into the world. I like our three circles example. They'll probably put it on the screen um, because it, it, it does not end up in heaven like many illustrations people use to share the gospel. Um, most gospel illustrations just end up in forgiveness of your sins and gaining eternal life. Um, and, and that's why I think many people just end up sitting around and doing very little until they get to heaven. But really, we're supposed to be on Jesus's team. And my favorite part about sharing our three circles gospel conversation is the end of it, because as God helps us recover and pursue God's design again for our lives, um, and, and starts to heal us from our brokenness, he sends us back out into a broken world to help other people 
recover from their brokenness. See, this process is ongoing, and I believe being sent also is how he heals us from our brokenness. Because it gives us joy and it gives us healing. Uh, the Bible says that we are healed when we confess our sins and when we pray for others. Um, when we share our testimony or our story, that increases our faith. I always watch believers light up when they share what God has done in their lives. When we let ourselves um, be sent, it gives us real purpose. It gives us real meaning to our lives. Um, you know, when we are sent, it, it, it helps us to learn to trust him even more and overcome adversity and overcome our fears. Being sent, we, we discover new relationships with new brothers and sisters that starts to enrich our lives even more. If we are sent, uh, the life of faith becomes exciting because there is so much to learn in each new person and each new situation. Beloved, Sitting around, waiting for heaven is boring. It is. I'm excited. I get to go to uh, Sierra Leone with Andre and in and, and just a little bit. I'm excited to hear some of the stories that Andre and Rena have. When they were just in Africa. You know, it's exciting. Cleone was just in, in Kenya. It's exciting when we're sent. Um, so, uh, you know, beloved, being sitting around is boring. That would mean that life is just a waiting room, Right? To me, that's worse than death. If life was just a waiting room, that would be worse than death. I hate the waiting room when I go to the doctor. Anybody else hate the waiting room? <laughs> it's like a waste of time. I, I, I think about it. Um, God, um, why would he have you here? If heaven is a perfect place, better than this life, and he loves us, why don't he just take us there if he doesn't you know, want us to learn something here and have some excitement here? God does not need us to help us him reach this world he's all powerful he could do it another way but he chooses to have us partner with him because we are his beloved children who he wants to grow to be like his son jesus who and he wants to empower us um and 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 lovingly send us to the world if he has saved you you are here for a reason otherwise he would have taken you home to be with him already Today, let's look at God's word and, and, and let's try to follow him even closer as his sent son and daughter. So we're going to look in Luke uh, chapter 10. Jesus first said, pray, and then Jesus says, go. There's no sit and wait being a disciple. In verse three, it says, go on your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. In this verse, Jesus is telling us how we should go what we face, and how we should act as we go. The first thing he says is go. Most Christians think they just need to come to church and come to Bible study, but Jesus says go. Notice he says go on your way. Being sent is just not going to some far exotic place like Andre and Rina go to Africa. It's saying that you are a missionary wherever you go. Wherever you go, as you go to school, as you go to work, as you do shopping, as you do recreation, you are to be like Jesus to everybody who is around you. You are an ambassador to our heavenly king. 
Jesus was like a lamb, the lamb of God who took away our sins because he sacrificed himself to remove our sin. We must make sacrifices in our lives so that others get the message that their sins can be forgiven. I also think that being a lamb means that we are to be gentle. People who are caught in sin are often like desperate animals in a trap. In their fear and in their pain, they can bite you. Jesus is saying he's sending us out in the midst of wolves. One sacrifice we make is that sometimes we're going to be chewed on in the world. Anybody been chewed on? Also, we are not to be the chewers, but the chewy. See, lambs are tame. They're domesticated animals. Wolves are wild predators. Many think that they have to... That for us to have gospel camp conversations is for us to be predators, that we are to go out and hunt people down and argue with them. But Jesus called us to be fishers of men. So we're more like the bait. Our love for each other and for others is what attracts them. Disciples don't go out on attack. That's what wolves do. But here's something hopeful. There are more sheep than wolves. Although wolves, they hunt in packs sometimes. They're kind of loners, and they, they kind of tear each other apart. Sheep become strong in numbers. They work as a team. Their teamwork is what makes them strong. You know, the loner sheep is the one that gets picked off by the wolf. See, Jesus sent out his disciples together, two by two. Jesus said this, carry no money bag. No knapsack, no sandal. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. This verse shows us how and to who we are to be sent. First, we go dependently, trusting on God, trusting on him to provide all we need. You know, many don't have gospel conversations because they don't feel like they have enough knowledge or enough experience or enough holiness. As God send us, sends us, we don't go trusting in our own abilities. We don't go trusting in what we have. We go trusting in his provision for us. Next, we go with a sense of urgency. The text says, greet no one. In the first century, there are many social rules and etiquette that would slow you down as you greeted people. People would want to stop you and, and just hear the latest gossip from the next town. And, and there's all this, this, this stuff that you had to do to just talk to people on the road. We, we are to go eliminating all the distractions that would deter us from the work of the gospel. You know, today, so many believers' lives are so full of distractions like social media, TV, and social obligations that they never find time to have gospel conversations. They're so turned in, tuned into their phones that they don't see the, and hear the brokenness and the broken people that are all around them. Jesus says, whatever house you enter, there are many who prejudge who would be interested in hearing the gospel and who would not be interested based on people's politics or their sexual preferences or their race or social class or their sinfulness. Jesus does not prequalify anyone. He is saying, whatever house, who fills the house of those you go to does not matter to Jesus. What matters to Jesus is that you are immersed with his gospel 
and offer words of peace between God and man. Do you remember what Jesus called out to the crowd of prostitutes and murderers and thieves and religious zealots and soldiers and politicians? He said this, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as scripture is set out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. John 7, 37 through 38. See, to me, that is the perfect picture of evangelism. We go filled up with the gospel of peace so we can pour that gospel out on whoever we meet. See, God used Paul and Moses, both who were murderers, but he used them mightily for his purposes. Friends, we don't have any business prejudging anyone when we go share the gospel. No matter what house we go into, we go into it with a message of peace, not judgment. God wants you to have peace with them. So we go first with good news, not bad news. So many Christians come with a message of judgment for sin. But, you know, sinners always love Jesus. Because he came with a message of good news, of God's love and God's mercy. You know, Jesus was hard on prideful religious people who judged others. But he was kind and he offered words of peace to those who were broken and harassed by sin. And Jesus said, if there is a son of peace there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. You know, if we're going to be effective in gospel conversations, the most important person must be um, that we must be having a gospel conversation with is us. We must drink, be drinking in his gospel daily in his word, coming to Jesus in prayer, coming to Jesus in his word, praying the gospel over ourselves so that we have peace in our hearts. And so that will help us recognize those sons of peace. A son of peace is someone God is already working on. Again, when uh, in the first century they talked about the son of something, it, it meant the same properties as. A son of peace was someone of, uh, of good character. Um, often travelers uh, that were met on the road had bad character, bandits or um, you know, some of the inns that the disciples might try to stay at were houses of prostitution. They were to go to places where there was a person of character or, or somebody, there was something redeemable. Sons of peace were not perfect, but a person who was, who was trying to do better, not a person of violence looking um, to take advantage of others. They were someone that God was already working on or warming up in some way. Theologically, um, we are not able to give the life of the gospel to anybody. The Bible says this in Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. We, we, don't, we don't have the power to wake the dead. God does. Our, our job is to find the ones that God is already starting to bring to life and share the life that is overflowing in us with them so that they can revive further. Think about the apostle Paul. Jesus brought him to life and then he sent Ananias to come and pray for him that the scales would come off his eyes so that he could even see more clearly and see the mission that God had for him. God sends us out to help to finish the work that he is already doing in the world. You know, there are people of peace all over. 
and they will self-identify when you share the gospel with them, they will receive it. There are many out there right now that are ready right now for you to have a true gospel conversation with you. And they may have been turned off by the church. They may have been turned off by other Christians. But when they hear the gospel from you, they will agree with it. That's why it's so important that we go. You know, I find I am so much more effective in a one-on-one conversation than sitting up here for two reasons. Um, Sons of peace don't necessarily stumble in here very often. They're kind of afraid of here. You know, we live in a Catholic community, and many of them feel like the roof's going to fall in because they feel like they're under judgment. The Holy Spirit, you know, helps me to listen to those kind of hurts and help tell them the gospel of peace, that God wants to have peace with them, and apply the gospel to the answers to their specific problems. When, when you have a gospel conversation with someone, um, th- th- you can, they, they open up. And, and, and when you have a gospel conversation, they're going to be one of three things. They're, they're going to be red, or they're going to be yellow, or they're going to be green like a traffic light. A, a, a green light is a son of peace. The peace of the gospel rests upon them, and you can start discipling them and sharing more. Pour that living water that's flowing off you onto them. Or they will be a yellow light. They're not rejecting the message, but they're still in the process of learning and, and being revived. Continue to let your peace rest upon them. And, and, and eventually they'll either reject it or become green. And, 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 if, and you do the same thing exactly with a yellow as you do with a green. You just start discipling them. Let that living water flow and continue that revival process. Now, what if they're red? Well, they're dead. Can you raise a dead thing? No. There's no point in arguing with the dead thing. A dead thing is not going to understand you. No point in putting more water on a dead plant. You've got to wait for God to make it alive. So you pray for God to make that plant alive. Let your peace return to you is what Jesus says. Let, let the peace of the gospel return to you. You never fail when you have a gospel conversation with somebody. Your job is just to plant the seed, determine if there is life, and then water it. If the soil won't accept the seed and the water, pray for God to break up that soil so that it will accept the seed and the water. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Three quarters of the time, the ground was unfruitful. Hard, rocky, and thorny. But when the good seed hit the good soil, there was a crop 30, 60, and 100 fold. Why do we waste our time being upset with bad soil? Let your peace return to you and go find good soil and water it. That's more fruitful. You're not God. Move on. Jesus said, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Remain and invest ourselves in good soil. Notice he did not make his disciples a door-to-door salesman. That's not what we're to do. With a, with a quota to get to as many houses as they could. They were looking for somewhere to invest. When they found a place where the message was accepted, they invested in that house because there was a person of peace there. When, when we reach a mom with the gospel, we need to invest in her so that her husband and her children come to know the Lord. 
Are, are you praying, friends, for, for uh, 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 the husband of a woman who doesn't come here? Like if the husband doesn't come here, are you, are you praying for that husband? Are you, are you praying for the children of that woman who don't come here? See, I like to invite those husbands to go to lunch with me because they're usually at least open to a free lunch and, and often I, they're open to a gospel conversation. And over the years, I've had the privilege of leading many of those men to the Lord. Are, are, are you praying and investing in spiritual widows? What about lost adult children? You know, sometimes our own adult children don't think we're that wise. Anybody found that? <laughs> well, maybe they'll think somebody else in this church is wise, right? Um, are we praying for each other's adult children? We're a team. We need to be praying for each other's adult children and looking for opportunities that we can pour that living water on them and disciple them. Remember, what is our mission? To help every family discover God, his love, and his ways. When, when I disciple people, I teach them to follow what's called an oikos map. Not, not to get yogurt. Oikos is, is a map that means a relational map. And I meant to put a picture of it, but it's just like a circle that has you on it. And then you think of the people that you know. And, and you just don't think of the people you know, but you think of the people that they know. Well, like if you have a family, well, it's not just the dad. It's the mom and the kids and everybody. So you're thinking relationship. You know, Jesus has billions of followers today, but he really only invested himself into 12 people and really only invested himself really deeply into three, James, John, and Peter, who became his leaders. Jesus didn't really know a lot of people. I traced that out last year for you. It was like four that he really knew. But people like Peter knew James and John, who were brothers, and they knew other people. And they were not being door-to-door salesmen. They just kind of lovingly followed relationships and found people of peace to invest in, who found others of people of peace to invest in. And friends, that's how the church is built, not through a marketing program. It's by discipleship. it's, It's not possible for any of us to invest in a lot of people at once. People need to be close to us in relationship for that living water to flow off of us. So ask yourself, who are you sharing your life in Christ with? Who are you investing your life in? Notice the text says that disciples would be fed in the process. Sometimes we think the process of feeding others drains our resources. But Jesus says the workers deserve his wages. For his disciples, that meant they were supplied. Their material needs were supplied for food and other supplies would be provided by them going out and discipling. It's not wrong for somebody in ministry to receive compensation for their work of discipling others. Often, though, for all of us, the compensation we receive is spiritual. You know, I have found I grow much more discipling others than I do being discipled. See, God has always fed me as I feed others. Love is always an investment that pays dividends back to you. It may not be one-to-one. You may not receive the dividend from the one you invest in, you receive it from somewhere else unexpectedly. If you give without expectation. It's like you deposit in one bank and another bank sends you a check. It's weird. It's weird. But it's true. 
That's why it's better to give than to receive. See, there's a sacrifice in investing in others, but God promises, he promises there will be dividends. He, he says the laborer deserves his wages. And that's why as Christians, we're givers. God is just, you will get paid even when it seems like a, a bad investment because you are worth your wages. We also need to let people we serve, serve us. Now, this takes humility for some of us, but it gives them the opportunity to learn to be like Christ, who was a servant. The church is a family, and in a family, everybody serves the family team. Jesus said, whenever you enter a town, they receive you and eat um, whatever you enter a town and they receive you. Eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. It says, whenever you enter, friends, are you looking for places to enter? When you are given entry, when somebody gives you, invites you to a party, do you see that as an opportunity to enter? When you're invited to lunch, is that an opportunity to enter? Do you have a place to pour that living water out? Look, entry. And, and when you're given a place to enter, it says, eat what is set before you. You know, food often has to do with culture. And we often need to understand the culture of another to bring them the gospel. We can't reject them and their culture and bring them the gospel. You know, this was a big statement that Jesus was making. Think, think about how finicky the Jews were about their dietary laws. Jews would not even enter into a Gentile home because they were unclean because of what they ate. To be sent, we need to be thinking like a missionary. And be open to new experiences. People do things differently in different families and in different groups of people. And much of those things have nothing to do with the gospel. We can't lift our nose in pride because we think our way is better and still love people. The Apostle Paul said this, For though I am free of all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jew, I became as a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. Can you wear a mask in a house that wears masks? Can you wear, uh, not wear a mask in a house that does not wear masks? Can you not fight about politics in a house that has different views than you? Can you comfortably enter a home that's um, poorer than yours? Can you comfortably enter a home that's richer than yours? How about one that's of a different race or a different culture? or is messier, or is cleaner? Can you adapt? Jesus says, heal the sick. He gave the disciples the power to heal the sick in his name. 
Friends, do you trust in the power of God? Are you willing to be humble and offer a prayer for them about whatever their brokenness and, and, and trust deeply that God can fix it? James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayers of a righteous person has great power in its working. We, we lead into a gospel conversation with somebody by, by hearing their brokenness. By hearing the brokenness of others, are, are you willing to listen to the brokenness of others? Or do you change the conversation to the bears or home decorating or something you're interested in? To care about others, we need to listen to their brokenness because so few do it. So few do. And, and actually just listening to it is healing. Then, then, then you can ask them, is there some way I can help you? Or is there some way I can pray for you? And then if the Spirit leads you, you can say, you know, I have not been through exactly what you've been through, but I've been through similar problems. Can I share with you something that has helped me? And then draw out the three circles for them. Do you know when I've asked that question, 95% of the people will tell you if you're a good listener, yes. And I've drawn that out hundreds of times. And then you can have a gospel conversation with them and share your testimony with them. Now, they may not receive the gospel right there and then, but the gospel has come near them. They are close to the kingdom of God. God's mercy has come near, and and they just need to receive it. Jesus' disciples are told to say, the kingdom of God has come near. Share the benefit of that to them. That they have a eternal life-saving opportunity right in front of them. They just need to step across the line and receive God's grace uh, in Jesus Christ freely. You're not selling anything, friends. People think that they're selling something with the gospel. You're offering the greatest thing ever free. Just let them know that God is waiting for them to receive them. And if they are ready, if they're ready, just pray with them right there and then to receive them. My, my mom was a, a, a delivery nurse in the hospital, and I once asked her, who delivers the baby? Is it the doctor? Is it the nurse? And she says, whoever's closest catches. You're the close one. You catch that new spiritual baby. Don't worry about the words. Jesus is with you. It's more about their faith than your words. Guide them in prayer, admitting their sin to God. Confessing their belief in what Jesus has done for them and making a commitment to follow him as their leader or Lord. It's as easy as A, B, C. Admit, believe, commit. Receive, receiving Jesus is healing every disease that they will ever have forever. And then once you're done, celebrate that with them in prayer because there's joy in heaven about what just happened. Now, What if you're rejected? What if you're rejected? What if they're a complete red light? Jesus said, whenever you enter town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. What Jesus is saying is brush it off. When, When the Jews passed through a Gentile, an unbelieving town, they traditionally would just do this. They would walk through and they'd say, I want nothing from this town. I'm just brushing it off. I'm kicking the dust off my feet and I'm moving on to the next town. It's an unbelieving town. 
When someone does not believe in the gospel that you're preaching, it doesn't take anything away from you. You've lost nothing. You know, sometimes we get so bent out of shape. If someone came to your house and you offered them a glass of water and they refused it, you would not call them names or think they were rude. You would just think they were not thirsty. Well, red lights are just not spiritually thirsty yet. They're hard, dry ground, unable to soak up water. That's all they are. Jesus is saying, decide in advance how you're going to act when you're rejected because it's going to happen. It happens to me. It happened to Jesus. So just decide on how you're going to advance. Kick that dust off. Brush it off. Don't dwell on it. Don't beat yourself up. You can't make an unthirsty person thirsty no matter how pretty your glass is or how cool your water is. Instead, say, I hope you will consider what I have said. If there's any way I can pray for you or if you ever want to talk again, I am here. And remember, I'll be praying for you because I care about you. Show love. Humbly let them know that they've had a great opportunity, that the kingdom of God has come near them. And don't be mad. Actually, Jesus says this. Be sad. Be sad for them. Verse 12 says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. What we lose when we share the gospel and then we're rejected is minimal. The worst thing they can do to us if somebody rejects us is kill us. Really. Jesus has given us eternal life. So if we get rejected and we get killed, no big deal, right? Because they have rejected us, though. They face worse. Judgment in hell forever. The Bible says that apart from Christ, we are all condemned because of sin. But now that someone has rejected his gospel, it's worse. See, hell is no picnic. Not at all. It's eternal torment. But Jesus is saying it gets worse by rejecting his gospel. See, Sodom was a city that was utterly destroyed by God by raining down fire and um, sulfur on it in judgment for their unrepentant sin, their unrepentant sexual sin. Jesus says it would be more bearable for the people of Sodom than the ones that rejected him. Beloved, when somebody rejects Jesus, we should be moved in our hearts to pray, pray fervently, diligently for everyone who's a red light. We don't, we don't have time to look back with regrets, thinking something's wrong with us for following Jesus. Lot's wife, when she was escaping from Psalm, looked back with regrets and was turned into a pillar of salt, made totally combat ineffective. Too many disciples do not share the gospel because they look back with regrets at times that they were rejected, but they do not lose if they shared. Friends, we only lose if we do not share and if we do not pray. Jesus said, Woe to you, Corazon! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ash. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. Corazon and Bethsaida were areas where Jesus had preached, where he had done many miracles, and the people rejected his message. You know, these towns were full of religious people, devouted Jews. Tyre and Sidon, though, were Phoenician pagan cities. 
they had been doomed in prophecies by Isaiah and Ezekiel. They were leveled by Alexander the Great in uh, 332 B.C. And Jesus is saying, if he had done the same kind of preaching and miracles, those pagans in those cities would have responded with repentance and belief. See, there was more judgment on Chorazan and Bethsaida because they rejected Jesus. Capernaum was the headquarters of Jesus' ministry. Most of the work that he did, most of the miracles he did were there. And Jesus asks, will you be exalted to heaven because I did my work here? But they had not repented. They had not received his gospel either. And so Jesus answers his own questions. He says, you shall be brought down to Hades. Friends, these are sobering verses. For all with the knowledge of Jesus who reject his words. Those who are only his fans, who just come for the show, for the miracles and the the free bread, but don't join his team and follow and fish. Those without any repentance of sin in their lives, they are under worse judgment for pretending and using Jesus and just living in their sin, in the sins of their flesh, having knowledge of who he is, and not turning and following him as Lord. Friends, the gospel is good news for all who believe and follow him, but it is judgment for those with hard hearts who refuse to repent and follow. Jesus tells the disciples that their words have authority even when they are rejected. Verse 16, he says, The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me, my father. If the gospel of Jesus is rejected, God is rejected. No matter how much lip service you're giving to your religion, your good works, or your philosophical excuses for what you do. See, Jesus sends us into the world because God loves the world. And he doesn't want the world to perish. And God sent his son into the world because he loves the world. John 1, 11 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Even his own people, most of Jesus' people, the people he came to were red lights. But Jesus brushed it off, and he headed to the cross, and he loved them. He kept going, and he loved us. First John 2 2 says he is the propitiation for our sins not only for ours but also for the sins of the whole world and his death on the cross covered the cost of our sins bringing us forgiveness removing the judgment of god for those who would believe and then his resurrection three days later proved his identity as the son of god who had the power and the authority to forgive us of our sins and to give us eternal life but we must repent Turn to him and believe in his name and believe in what he has done for us.
today if you have not repented? Are you any better than Corazon, Bethsaida, and Capernaum? Today, if you are just an apathetic religious yellow light, you are under the judgment the kingdom has only come near. Today, believe in him and follow him. Go, push that accelerator. Go, be baptized, be immersed in him, drink him in. Allow yourself to be sent to a broken and thirsty and dying world. Be sent, be a sent son or daughter that does his work in this world so that none he loves and none that he dies for perishes. If you reject his love, you will perish. Admit your sin. Turn from it. Believe on him and follow him and let him send you into this world. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your amazing love. You don't want to judge us. That is why you sent your son. You sent your one and only son to die for us so that we might be forgiven. Father, let us hear his word today and turn and follow him and do his will. Father, if there's anybody here that has not trusted in him, Father, let them do that today. Let them believe on him. Let them turn and repent of their sin and come and follow. Lord, thank you for the work that you're doing through the Holy Spirit right now. Convict hearts of sin. We're all sometimes far from God, so convict our hearts of sin through the Holy Spirit. Convict our hearts right now of how good you are. Convict our hearts with a sense of urgency that you're coming back soon so there's no time to wait. Father, let us change to become more like your son. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, if you would like someone to pray with, I'll be right over here. If you'd like to make a commitment to Jesus, if you'd like to make a commitment to be baptized, if you'd like to make any kind of prayer request, I'll be here to pray with you. The deacons, why don't you stand up? They'll be in the audience for you to pray with. It's a time to, for the team to pray. So everybody stand up and let's, let's praise God and pray as God leads you.